that's why so quick. 150 done it, I'ma run it in the fast lane. Fast lanes, watch me like a madman. Welcome everybody to Transaction. I'm here with Eric and Brian. Our special guest today is a rapper musician, uh Bobby J from Rockaway. How you doing, man? Hey man, thank you for having me on. I appreciate you. Absolutely. So, uh, no, thank you. So I have to tell a backstory really quick on um, how I found your music again. So it's really interesting for people who've known you for a long time and know you from before you were Bobby J from Rockway. So Asher Roth came up in a conversation, I think Brian and I were having, or someone was having probably a month ago. And I was like, around that time in like 2008, there was a guy named Beyond Belief. I was like, this dude was murdering shit. I remember this irrational thoughts freestyle I had with Kwame and like, I haven't, I don't know what happened to him. And wow. then I, yeah, I swear to God. And I was like, he had this song, Don't Touch, where like he had something written on his head. And I was like, man, like he used to spit such good shit to the point where Brian and I were rapping at that time. We still do, but like we were new with it. And I remember hearing your irrational thoughts. And you were the first person I really heard like on YouTube that I was like, okay, I really need to like work on my shit. Because like you were at that time to my in my eyes like levels above where I was, and it was like really eye opening how much work I had to put in. So like thank you for that. But you were on a Depths of the Dark Side podcast as Bobby yes. came from Rockaway, and yeah. we're friends with him. We follow him, and I saw that you had mentioned like pre from the people from Beyond Belief days, and I was like, oh my god, I felt like the dude from the sand. Like that's the same guy. Like that's how I felt. <laughs> So then I, I comment, I was like, oh, my God, I remember your line, like, you'll get killed like a Scottish dress. So that's how I found you. And then I saw you did uh, stuff with Neff, who we who we had on the show, the truth that now we've had on the show. So it was just like per the perfect storm. So I know that's a long winded explanation, but like that, that's really like how I came to find you again, which is really cool, man. Wow, man, that's fucking crazy. crazy. Uh, yeah. First of all, I appreciate that. I appreciate that that you've. That, that you've been a, been a, uh, aware of me for that long. You know, there's only there's only so many people that even really remember those days. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you think back, 2007, 2008 seems like, yeah. I mean, to me, it's yesterday, but it's, you know, in internet years, it's like, that might as well have been, I mean, shit, it's 14 years ago, but it seems like it was fucking forever ago because it's, you know, pre-Instagram, pre, like, YouTube yeah. was just getting started pre-blog era, all that I, stuff. Yeah. That was like yeah. MySpace. MySpace yeah, dude. Literally. Um shit, man. I, you know, it's 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 crazy. I mean, yeah, listen, I've been I've been putting out music actively since like 2007. Mm -hmm. Um obviously there's been a lot of ups and downs. Like there's there's a whole long winded story, and right. you know I don't know if you want to get into that, yes, but absolutely. So I want to go into <laughs> get to the Beyond Belief days, how you started, oh, and like met up with Kwame and how you rebranded, like start from scratch. Man, I'm really dude, I'm like really interesting. Yo, it's 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 such a long story, man. It's fine, like, we really got time. Wanna... I got a beer. Let's do it. Um, heavy pour. Like, I got I got bourbon, so I'm I'm chilling. <laughs> um, same. Shit, man. I mean, fuck. Um, so I started, I met Kwame when I was 13 going on 14, right? Like 2001 must have been when I met him. I was in high school. Uh, my best friend in high school, that was this kid, Anthony. He goes by the name Billy Bang now. Unfortunately, he's locked up for six years, but he's, he's an important person in the story because he's the person that really was, you know, really put me on. Um, you know, I was, I was rapping and, you know, I thought I was good and, you know, I, I, I was rapping in front of my friends and all my friends thought I was good, but, you know, it wasn't really till I got high, got to high school that I had like an actual forum to rap in front of people that, that weren't my friends that were unbiased, that were going to give me the real opinion about what they thought I was doing. Right. So I remember, you know, going to high school, I went to school to a school called St. Francis Prep in um, Fresh Meadows, Queens. And um, another rapper by the name of Boss from Dreamville, he went there. Me and him were real cool all through high school as well. So uh, I just remember, you know, those early mornings in the lunchroom, you know, we would all battle each other. And um, I battled this kid, Anthony. Um, it was probably the first time I got any real response from a crowd, like, saying a punchline that landed and crowd goes crazy, blah, blah, blah. And just from there, me and him got real cool. You know, we just had a common 
interest. We were both uh, trying to do music. And I actually, you know, I really looked up to him because he was doing everything that I wanted to do. Um, at that time, like, you got to remember 2001, it's not like now where everybody has, you know, a Pro Tools set up in their crib and they could just make studio sounding or, or, or radio ready music in their house. Like getting into an actual studio and working with a producer or somebody that, you know, had the know-how to make professional music was the next step mm. in my career. So he was the kid that pretty much vouched for me. And he was already working with Kwame at this point, um, who Kwame, by the, by, by the way, um, you know, multi-platinum producer was a rapper as uh, back in the eighties, you know, check his resume. He's, he's kind of done it all. But at that point he was making his resurgence as a producer. So, um, and was like, listen, I want to, I want to introduce you to this guy, Kwame. I know he lives up in Harlem. You know, we went to his, his studio, which at the time was on 145th and Edgecombe in Harlem. And, um, I mean, shit, I, I look back at that time and it's, it's, it's weird to me that he actually even wanted to work with me because I was so inexperienced and so green. Like I could barely rap on beat. I could barely write a song, but for whatever reason, and it's almost like, it sounds corny, but it sounds like it's, it was almost like fate because he saw something in me that I didn't see in my own self. You know what I'm saying? Um, I went up there, I rapped for him. We started making songs and he kind of just took me under his wing. And from the age of maybe 15 to 20 was what I would call now like the artist development period where I was literally being coached by a producer. Like at that time, all I wanted to do was battle. I just wanted to battle rap. I didn't know how to write a song. I didn't know anything about song structure. And he kind of took me from somebody that could rap good and schooled me on, on the A, Bs, and Cs of making a record. So, you know, there was, there was literally just a five-year period where we were just recording over and over and over and over, trying to, you know, figure out a sound that worked for us. And um, come to Beyond Belief, which was around the time I was 19 or 20, you know, we pretty much felt like, you know, our material was getting there, we had a sound that we wanted to run with. And, um, you know, our, our, we, we, we had gone around to labels and tried to shop music. Again, this is pre-social media. This is pre-the indie grind. Like, everything in those days had to be done by the book. It was like you had to know somebody that knew somebody at a label. You get a meeting. You go up there. You play music. Like, that was how people got signed. You know what I'm saying? Um, that, those are like the last days of that. So I'm very young still, you know, I'm 16, 17, 18, going to labels and just nobody was interested. And, you know, the, the, whole, the whole angle that me and Kwame were going for, and mind you, everything was Eminem at that point. It was Eminem yeah. or uh, Bubba Sparks. Like, and even Bub Bubba Sparks, like he was super talented, but he never really got the, the, the chance he deserved because everything was being overshadowed by Eminem. So... Yeah. You know, the sentiment when I go into these labels was like, yeah, your boy's talented, but, you know, there's already Eminem. And right. like, and yeah, Bobby, really, really, I just want to say, you know, 708, what people don't realize who, like, are watching, and white rappers back then, like, it really wasn't like it is today. Like, you you really, like, nowadays with, like, the Macklemore, Mac Miller came up, G-Eazy, it's like, I, I don't want to say like this. They like they were they're more accepted today as just yeah. come on you and, really and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that too because yeah. because that, like I said that was that was the the feeling in the air it was just you know the way the way Kwame put it to me one time which made a lot of sense he's like white rappers are like black actors hmm. you know there's only room for like a couple you know what I'm saying and that's that's basically how it was it was like you know there's like, like in hip hop, it was the reverse. It's, it's, there's only, there's this one guy that is so fucking good yeah. and is so, you know, he's sold so many records and, and it's this, this mountain that he's built for himself is so insurmountable that it was almost impossible. Like mm -hmm. you go into these, these meetings and 
and people just weren't trying to hear it. And, um, you know, the, the angle that me and Kwame were going for was like, you know, I'm a kid in college. You know, I'm not trying to be the, the white rapper that's standing in front of the corner store with like a million black guys behind me trying to be something I'm not like, let's, 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 let's make something that's my real life. And, and, you know, in college, like I was throwing house parties and doing shit like that. Like even when I was in, in, in high school, I was like, why don't I, why don't I make a song based around, you know, my actual life in terms of just like throwing house parties, <laughs> trying to basically make like the new age fight for your right to party. And that's, that, that's where, uh, that's where don't touch came in. And, um, so we made this record and we're like, like, look, this is, you know, this is, this is a rap song, but we also feel like it has some kind of like pop appeal. Like, like if this gets the right kind of push, like it could be like a Z100 type of song. You know what I'm saying? Did you sample and the Eagles on it? Originally we did. So the original right. sample was the Eagles heartache tonight. Right. And, and again, like, you know, that comes from my parents. Like my mom is like the biggest Eagles fan of all time. I'm a huge Don Henley fan. So boys we sampled that. Boys of Summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, again, like that, that was me drawn from, you know, shit that I knew growing up. So we made this record and, you know, we just believed in it. We were like, look, like there's a lot of kids like me. There's a lot of kids that, that are fans of hip hop that are like me. Let's, let's, instead of trying to push this shit to labels or try to shop a deal sidebar, my father had passed away at this point and left me a little bit of money. So we were like, let's just fucking make our own video and, and promote it as if we're our own label and just do this shit independently. Mind you, this is pre world star hip hop. This is pre blogs. This is pre, uh, you know, DSLR cameras where people could go out and shoot their own videos. Like, and it was like, all that shit was like right on the horizon which is why I'm like kicking myself when I think about it, because, you know, had we waited like two or three years to like actually do that, it would have been so much cheaper, but we shot a full scale video. Um, you know, we did everything. We hired publicists, we hired a radio promoter, you know, we, we, we went extremely hard, like, cause we believed in this record. And, um, I mean, you know, looking back on it, we had a lot of success, you know, we got, we were added to a couple top 40 radio stations around the country. Um, we had the video on TV. Um, you know, like, I mean, almost on like a micro level, like in and around my neighborhood, like people saw it on TV. I was almost like a, like a mini celebrity, like where I was in my own little neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Because again, you know, now anyone could have a fucking video. Just having a video at that point that looked like a professionally done video was like, People thought you were legitimate. You know what I'm saying? So um, that video came out. It piqued the attention of a dude named Monty Littman, who was running Universal Republic at the time. Uh, so Universal Republic was, you know, eventually they had Asher Roth. They had, you know, uh, Steve Rifkin had a situation over there, but they were more on like the pop side of things. So they had seen the video, they were impressed, and they wanted me and Kwame to come up and do a showcase up there. And, um, you know, for people who don't know, a showcase is when you go up to a label and they basically bring you into a room and there's like a, like a makeshift stage, they bring in the entire label and you do a live performance for the label. And it's kind of like, you know, the final frontier before you get a record deal. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm 19 at the time, like I'm all hyped up, like shit, like this is, this is about to happen. You know what I mean? So we go up, we do a show. I mean, everything goes as good, as good as it could possibly go. You know, we wait maybe like a week or two and they get back to us and they're like, uh, you know, we love the show. We love the music, but we don't think you have a big enough following yet. So we're going to pass. So at that point, I mean, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm 19, no, actually maybe more like 20 going into like my senior year of college. And 
shit, I've already spent X amount of money on the video. We spent X amount of money promoting it with, 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 with publicists to TV. We spent X amount of money doing a radio run. And it's just like the, you know, the train's running out of steam and like, it's like how much, you know, how much more can we keep pushing this shit along? And the, the fact of the matter is like, you're, you're really going up against major labels who have this endless supply of money. Like it really taught me a lot about how radio works and how people get on radio and how songs get in the top 40 slots and things of that nature. Like it, the cards are, are extremely stacked against you if you're a fucking independent artist. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was just an impossible scenario. So because I can I can I ask you this? Sure, question? sure. Go ahead. I don't oh, mean to be long winded. Oh, if you no, ask no, any no, questions, no. like interject. So so basically, and this is something that I've thought for a long ass time. Those top forty songs are, for the most part, paid for. It's not um, about talent. It, it, in, in my experience. In my experience, I mean, I'll put it like this. So without, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw people under the bus and like give away too much, but um, you bet what, what happens like in the top 40 game, like specifically in not, not, not just hip hop radio, because hip hop radio is a little bit different because you have mix shows and you have DJs that in some respects that they have enough clout can break artists that they like or satellite radio where DJs have their own shows and it's not as political. They can play songs that they want, but specifically in the context of say pop radio, we we're talking about like Rihanna's and that type of shit. And that's really what we were shooting for, to be honest with you. Um, you're, you're essentially going to what's called a radio promoter, right? Um, which it may cost an X amount of dollars just to walk in the door to even present your record to a radio promoter, right? And that what that radio promoter is selling you is his relationships with the program directors all around the country. So the PDs are the guys like saying Wisconsin, New York, Detroit, Philly, Atlanta, whatever. Those are the people that determine what makes it into the rotation on those stations, right? And what you're paying them for is like, what I found out is it, it's, it's fucking arbitrary. It's like, you might be, you might pay him a lump sum of money, but some of that money goes to, you know, buying the PD in the fucking, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, floor seats at a fucking game. You know what I'm saying? Like, or, or, you know, some kind of favor to this guy. Like, and, and it's, it's all about like, you know, whining and dining and, and, and caressing these people to the point where you're like, yo, did you listen to that record? Did you listen to the CD? Did you listen to track seven on this CD? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's literally like they have to do all these things to finesse these people into, into playing your songs. And, and that's kind of, I don't know if it's the same now. Listen, we're talking 2007, 2008, but yo, like I remember on, on one of the mix CDs I was on with don't touch like Wiz Khalifa's first song was on that CD. You know what I'm saying? He had a song called Say Yeah. That was his very yeah, first. Yeah. I remember that. So, so yeah. you know, and there's, there's, there's songs from that era that I remember that did ver that were very successful that were on you, this guy's CD. Like, this guy was the guy. Like, so he broke records, but it was just, I just remember my mind being blown. Damn, like, this is how songs get put on the fucking radio. It's like you know, a gut punch. It's like a gut punch. It's, it's, a, it's a gut punch. And, and also, you know, a lot, of these, a lot of these labels would also strong arm radio stations. Like, let's say, you know, you're, you have, you know, Beyonce signed <laughs> to your label, but you're also trying to break a new act. And you could go to a, a radio station and say, hey, you know, you got Jingle Ball coming up, right? Well, Beyonce's not going to perform at Jingle Ball unless you break this new record. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, that, it's that political and it's that... It's that um, so, like, it's a legal mob. It's, it's, it's that monopolized, yes. Yeah, it's and a I, legal and mob. I, of course. And I, and I can only imagine what it was like, you know, in the 60s, Even 70s. before that, yeah. Right. Like, like you talk about, the, like, talk about the mob, like when the mob actually was fucking like breaking people's legs and shit to play yeah. records. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, I mean, at that point, you know, I, I saw behind the curtain and um, 
you know, at this point, I'm 20, I'm 21. I come out of college. I'm unemployed. Uh, you know, I'm back in mom's basement. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, shit, I'm a fucking loser. Like, I, I, uh, you know, this, this isn't working out for me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, I feel like, I feel like my mom, like, yo, you should get a job. Like, so, you know, all those, all those things kind of came into me at once. And again, it's like 2008, 2009, the economy crashed. So, you know, to me, like, I'm like, shit, like, is this music shit not working out? You know, should I try something else? And um, there was definitely like a, a, a three to four year period where, you know, I put, I put out like a couple mixtapes after all that stuff, but you know, I had just kind of, a lot of the wind had had been taken out of my sail, man. Um, And I feel like a lot of artists go through the same shit, but I was just at that point where I'm like, damn, like, fuck the politics of everything kind of fucked my head up. And, and I just, I wasn't in love with it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because everything had become about like, it wasn't about the music anymore. It was about what does this person think about it? What does this gatekeeper think about it? What is this person who holds the fate of my fate in the palm of their hands think about it? And it was just very, I was like, nah, man, like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And, um, I definitely took a, a hiatus and uh, around that time, like I had gotten a job, I was in a, a long-term relationship and I was making music, but I wasn't, I wasn't actively really putting anything out. And um, it got to a point where I was like, number one, I'm not happy not making music. I'm not happy not being creative. And I got to a point where I was like, fuck these people, man. Like, this is what I want to do. And, um, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't give a fuck who likes it, who doesn't. And, uh, you know, I, I stopped living for other people and, and other people's opinions. And I just became more focused on like what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I did the whole rebranding thing. I was like, listen, you know, most people call me Bobby J. Like that's what, you know, my friends and my family and, you know, people in my neighborhood call me. So, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rebrand myself and uh, I'm going to do it my way, man. Like I'm going to make the music I want to make and whoever likes it, great. Whoever doesn't, that's fine. And, and the ironic thing is once I discarded, you know, the, the whole like caring what the influencers and the gatekeeper people thought, that's when things really started to, you know, turn around for me. You know what I'm saying? It's when, and, and, and again, I'm in a new era, man. It's, you know, there's, there's social media, there's Instagram, there's YouTube. It allowed me to leapfrog the people that would, would almost like be in the way, like, you know, check this out. Don't check this out. You know, it's like people could come directly to me and, and if they like it, they like it, man. That's, and I've just been doing that ever since. And, um, it's been great, man. I mean, it's, it's been working. Like, honestly, like I'm doing more now than I've, I've ever done, man. I've worked with people that I, I look up to. My music's been played by people that I grew up listening to. I've collaborated with artists that I look up to. And it's just like, I'm just having fun, man. Like this is, this is something I love to do. I love making music and I love the creative process and everything else. Like I tried not to concern myself with man like because it's really not that serious you with music you either like it or you don't and that's it and there's nothing else you could do about it you know yeah I'll, I'll get to eric in a sec but i just want to say we've had someone else on i won't like mention who but like he he mentioned the same type of stuff you did it's like he didn't like writing but once he got to a place where he started making music for himself like it got a lot healthier mentally and like i feel like brian and i did the same thing like we used to used to worry so much and now you just make it and for you like you make yeah. it for you and your mental state is so much healthier because you're, yeah, like, you're like i don't like the way you did this verse tough shit that's how i wrote it yeah man it's like, <laughs> like listen if you shit. if you if you concern yourself with the opinions of other people you know it's 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 just gonna put you in a dark place man and you know i'm lucky because you know, the people that follow me love what I'm doing, but uh, you know, there's always times you get that one guy 
that one guy. And, you know, I can, I could deal with somebody being like, shit is trash, like whatever, like that's, that doesn't affect me, but there's always that one guy that like gets you and understands you and like breaks you down. You're like, Oh man, this fucking hurts at the core. You know what I mean? But listen, like it, music is subjective. You know what I'm saying? There, there's shit that I think is, is terrible that has, you know, millions of people love it. Like you really can't, you really can't, uh, 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 say what's good and what's bad man it's 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 in the eye of the beholder it's you know everyone has different tastes man so i just try to do what i like and and make the music i want to make and put it out that's just all you could do you know i agree so when i go to my air supply concert on october 21st you guys cannot laugh at me brian do you understand that it's subjective And I will be singing all those songs, and I love them to death. Eric, this go is on. real. This is real hip hop. Yeah. Um, was there was there like a different style of rap that you tried, and you're kind of like embarrassed about? Like, did you ever try to do like trap or something like that? And you're just like, why did I even like? Was there like something you tried that you just said, I can't do this. I'm just gonna. Uh, no, I, ne- I never really got into. I've always kind of been. I've always stuck to my guns. I never really like to uh, follow uh, what's the trend of what's popular or like what hop on a wave or, you know, do what everyone else is doing. I, I, I will say though that, you know, around the time, like I had like the don't touch record out and me and Kwame put out an album, like we were, and I guess like the context of the, the time that we were making the songs in played in a lot to it because we were trying, again, we were trying to make songs that were palatable to labels you know what i'm saying like you go into a label they want to hear three records they want to hear something that has hit potential so we a hundred percent our creative process was tainted by the fact that it's like you know i can't do the hip-hop i want to make because i'm making songs for an a and r that might be sitting some 50 year old white a and r that might be sitting on a fucking couch that's going to judge me off of one or two records and they want to hear, you know, a hook and something that they could promote to radio. Like that, that was just the reality of the situation. You know, there was yeah. no, there was no, there was no, there, there was, but there wasn't, there was no like real indie lane to pursue. But then, like I said, like two years, three years later, you started to see, you know, the blog era, people shooting their own videos um, you know, the birth of Instagram and, 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 you know, YouTube really taking off as like a, a platform. So mm-hmm. like I, I, the way I describe it is we were like five minutes early to the party, man. Like seriously, like we had all the right ideas, but the timing was wrong. You know what you I'm didn't saying? have the tools to, to yeah, utilize. Them exactly. Point. Brian, I know, I think you're going to go where I'm going. Like that is our age with music. I feel like if you were trying to make it in that 08, 07 era, it was very weird because I remember we were, we were, we were at Rutgers Fest with a backpack of mixtapes, passing them out. But at that time, the, the CDs were going away, but like, we weren't sure they were the digital age was coming in. Yeah, man. Like we don't, we don't know what to do. Like yeah. it, it was, you almost don't meet someone 35, 34 who made it huge in the yeah. hip hop game. It, it was, it was, just, it was a transitional yeah. phase from it. Like the digital era was, was, was here, but st- people still had a foot in the physical yeah. CD yeah. era. You know what I'm saying? So weird. Streaming wasn't there. You know, like, honestly, like, I just remember there was, there was like a two to three year period where it was like, if two dope boys doesn't post you, you're not shit. If Pitchfork doesn't post you, you're not shit. If On Smash doesn't post you, you, you're not shit. Mm -hmm. That was like, that was the hardest error for me because, you know, I just felt like I, I was, I was, I was making for an, music for an audience that was not on those sites. And the, the people that own those sites, at least at that time, I was making music for people that weren't on those sites, but the people that own those sites just were not fucking with me. So I was like, shit, like, like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I really have, there, there's no, there's nobody to, I, you know, you needed a cosign, like who, who's going to cosign what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that, that played a lot into my my frustration because I knew what I was doing was good. It just 
it wasn't necessarily made for this audience, but that was, that was all I knew. It was like, I'm a hip hop fan. These are the people that are posting the, the hip hop videos. You know, what, what else do I do? You know what I'm saying? So it, I felt very lost around that time. You know what I'm saying? Because that was the alternative route beyond doing what I had done with the don't touch video, which was, you know, going to actually going to TV, going to, uh, you know, going to radio, going to, going through those traditional channels. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Brian, you, you were going to say something before. Oh yeah. I was going to, I wanted to go back a little bit. Now, earlier on, you had said you came up with kind of like the marketing campaign of like the college kid. Right. Yeah. So, now, when you didn't go through kind of with that, when you saw Asher Ross do it, how did you feel about that? Uh, so, so it's it's weird because I, I really have no, I have no evidence for this, right? So, like, take this take this with a grain of salt. But um, so I, I mentioned I did a, a showcase at Universal Republic, right, mm-hmm. um, which eventually Steve Rifkin had his imprint, which signed Asher Roth. Yeah. Um, so, again, Don't Touch was it was fight for your right to party. It was college kids drinking. That was the demographic I was targeting. That's 2008, and right? 2008? 2000, late 2007, early 2008. Right. Asher Roth drops 2009. And, and his yeah. first record is a record called I Love College. Mm. Um, so, uh, and, and, and the, the thing is Kwame was aware of him. They had, they had done records together he was aware of Scooter Braun at the time was working with Asher Roth. Scooter was trying to get Kwame to, to take Asher on as his artist. Um, there was a, there was a, a, a sort of connection going on. Like there was like, you know, there was an awareness of me and what me and Kwame are doing. I did the showcase at University. Obviously, he like, there, like there could have been a conversation. There could have been, there could have been a conversation. There could have been a behind the doors conversation where they showed him my video and said, you should do something like this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I have no evidence for that. I'm not saying he bit it. I, do, I like, I think Asher Roth is a, a talented rapper. I think he's yeah. dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't have anything against it, but I, I mean, shit. I mean, if, if my, my, my tinfoil hat conspiracy, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I would have to think like, yo, it was a good idea. Yeah. It was a good idea yeah. because it was a lane that wasn't open. It was, you know, be a white rapper that's white, that's trying to appeal to white kids doing what white kids do. You know what I'm saying? Like that. And it was different from what Eminem was doing. It was different from what Paul Wall was doing. It was a new lane. Like that was what we were trying to do. Um, So I saw that. And honestly, like I had, again, I had my suspicions like I have now, but really all it really did was validate that I had a good idea. You know what I'm saying? It was like, shit, like I was right. Like I, 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 I had kind of predicted what the wave of what the what the what the what the uh, aesthetic was going to be for the new white rappers to come after Eminem because you have you, after that you have Asher Roth you have Mac Miller you know and then you get uh, like Hoodie Allen you get fucking Little Dicky you get fucking right. all these kids that are you know that are kind of in the same same kind of thing. Same ballpark. Know? Same ballpark, you know, so... But, but so this is the thing. I would argue that ultimately it really didn't work out for Asher Ross because, I mean, after, what was it, Fall Asleep in the Bread Isle? Asleep yeah, in the Bread Isle was the debut album. I mean, I like the mixtape that he put out, The Greenhouse Effect. I thought yeah. that was good. But then when he came out with that album, I thought every single on the thing on there was bad. And they yeah. pretty much gave up on him right after that. I think it was, again, I think it was poor execution. I think, I think the idea behind it was good, but I think the records, you know, the records weren't, they weren't good, good enough. Yeah. He didn't have, he didn't have, he didn't have a, a, a if I Love College was a huge smash, mm. I would argue that Mac Miller 
came in and became what Asheroth was Should have trying been. to be. You that's know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the baton. And, and, and yeah, that's pretty was more. There was more of a, an authenticity. And I love right. Mac Miller because there was more of an authenticity to it. You know, he was young. He was actually a college kid. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mac Miller came in again a couple of years later. It, you know, the world stars were out. He had the, the indie yeah. funnel to go through. So... You know, again, Asher Roth might have been a year too early. You know what I'm saying? But, that, but, even, but there's the thing. At the same time, I think ultimately, because if you listen to Asher Roth's music after all of that, it dramatically changed. And I feel like he found himself. I feel yeah, like they were, they were trying to make him something that he wasn't. Right. Yes. And, and, and again, exactly. I totally agree with you. And you look at Asher Roth now, like Asher Roth is working with Knotts and Mickey Fax. Yeah. And, you know, he's making like real hip hop shit. So again, like, just to be clear, like, I think Asher Roth is dope, you know, and I think he was dope back then. I think, again, like he was a young kid. He probably had the label telling him like, this is, this is what we need to do. Mm -hmm. This is what we need to do to market you. This is the type of record you need to make. Like, do I think he wanted to make I Need College? I, uh, I love college. I doubt it, you know? But but that's, listen, you're talking about old guard versus new guard. Like, it, like literally 2007, 2008 might as well have been 100 years ago in terms of the yeah. music industry. Like, where we're at now and the way artists are broken and, and the path that artists are able to take in terms of cultivating a fan base and putting music out, it's, it's so different, man. And like, you know, being a white rapper in 2021 is, it's a non-factor. It's yeah. not even, it's not even something that people even really think about. I would, I would almost argue that, you know, a white rapper in, in, in current days uh, has the luxury of being mediocre. Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember like for me, being a white rapper meant you had to be yep. exceptional. Like there was no, there was no uh, uh, room for he's all right. Like you had to be fucking dope. You had to be fucking dope for to be taken seriously. Like now a white rapper could be, you know, they could they could they could put out you know a novelty song or something that you know is just catchy or whatever, and it, they don't have to have any real rap skills, but. You know, back in those days, there was a tremendous amount of scrutiny. Like you, right. you had to be fucking dope, man. Like it was, it was a different time, and, and, I, and it's I, weird. To, I, go I, ahead. That's why, like w w people who rap to are white in in our time, like fourteen years ago. Like me personally, I hold white rappers to a higher standard yeah. because of the shit we had to go through when we were rapping in ciphers, when we were battling at parties. Like if someone said, oh, they rap, it's like, oh, Eminem's cousin. Oh, Eminem. And it's like the, the newer generation of white rappers have no idea what that is like. Like they yeah. it was just literally you, you could be a B plus. And that you had to be an A plus because if you were yeah. a B plus, you were garbage. So like, I, I personally hold him to a higher standard. So when I hear someone who's average in my eyes, I'm like, fuck this guy. He didn't have to deal with the shit the other people. Did. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me personally. Yeah, no, there was, there was, there was. Uh, listen, I mean, listen. I, I think, you know, any any rapper in my age bracket had to pay dues. I had to pay dues. You know, it's like, you know, I rap in front of everybody. Like it, you know, it was there was a tremendous amount of, of, of skepticism when I first started rapping. Like you, nobody was trying to give me a pass. No one was, no one was receptive to it. You know what I'm saying? I had to be, I had to be dope on the level that, you know, within the first two to four lines, I had people's attention, you know, and that's, that's a, that's an attitude I've kept to this day. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm honestly glad that, that that was the, the environment that I came up in because, you know, there was like, there was no other white kids rapping when I was in high school or I'd go to, you know, I'd be in a cypher or, or would go to someone's neighborhood and battle somebody. Like there was no other white kids. Like it just, that was not the, that was not the norm. And, 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 and on top of that, it was, it was, it was double because the white kids in my neighborhood that I grew up around were like, you're a rapper. Like, what the fuck? Like they didn't take it seriously either. So it was, it was a double prong thing. Like the white kids didn't like it. The black kids looked at you like, you know, all right, you know, impress me. 
So it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a gauntlet, man. But that was, that environment built character and, and, and made me focused. You know what I'm saying? And kids just don't have that nowadays. It's more or less like, like a kid, you know, uh, I forget who said it, but you know, someone was like, uh, you know, growing up, I used to listen to Cool G Rap and Rakim and, and think, oh, Fonte from, from Little Brother said, uh, you know, growing up, I used to listen to uh, Cool G Rap and Rakim and think, I'll never rap as good as those guys. Mm. Now a kid now a kid grows up and listens to what's on the radio and they go, I could do that. And they're fucking right. You, they can. Like, they, they can. Like, a kid can, can make some dumbass song in his bedroom, put it on SoundCloud, and it inexplicably blows up, and all of a sudden they're thrust into this fucking maze of, of stardom. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no there's no artist development, there's no producer, there's nobody coaching them on anything. And, and it's sad. I think a lot of yeah. I think a lot of kids get 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 caught up and 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 probably end up getting um you know their royalty stolen or, or don't get what they what they deserve because. They're just, you know, you could literally go from zero to superstar in like a matter of days or weeks in this yeah. shit. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know? that's why you see a lot of, I mean, like Brian always mentions, like human beings aren't meant to be famous. Like it, it, it like you're not meant for it. So this young kid, you know, they, they could fall into the land of the drugs, the money, and it's you're too young to like, yeah. if you have no guidance with that. Uh, Eric. Yeah. Look at that that rapper Lil Xan, that little I mean he's I think he's Hispanic he's Mexican, but he looks white, but he's got like Xanax yeah. tattooed under him and like his songs and like he was deep into drugs and I heard something that was interesting. It's like the eighties like drunk was the vibe, right? All the metal bands are like being drunk was cool, acting drunk. Nineties was kinda like heroin. You know, it's like the grunge band and all that. And then now it's like pills. So like that vibe where you're just like solely like rapping, not really which, saying which much. pills pills are basically, you know, synthetic heroin. Yep. Yeah. But look at little, that's all little Wayne's fault. Lean, I mean lean yeah. lean is heroin, it's just in, in drink form, you know what I mean? Yeah. But lean, you know, lean's something that's been popping in Houston since the nineties, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's uh it's weird how drug culture is taken over, uh, you know, and it's sad because, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids have died, you know, like I was, I wasn't a fan of his music, but like, you know, little peep, like little peep, yeah. you know, OD, um, you know, it's, it, there's, you know, I should Mac Miller OD, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's yeah. a lot of, a lot of kids are, are falling susceptible to it. And, and again, like growing up in my neighborhood, I mean, you know, um, you know, alcohol was the gateway drug. You know, it was, you know, I grew up in like an Irish neighborhood. It was all Irish bars. And, you know, I started drinking when I was 13, 14. You know, by the time you're 19, you're basically like an alcoholic, like a functioning alcoholic. And then, you know, but it's the other shit that comes in with that. It's, you know, people start doing cocaine. People start doing, you know, uh, I remember around 2021, 20, I lost my, my, actually my manager's cousin, who was one of my best friends at the time, he died in his sleep. You know, all these kids were doing Xanax, they were doing Percocet, they were doing Roxy's, all, you know, there was a, there was a wave around me being 20, 20, 21, uh, where, you know, everybody was doing pills. And it was, it was mainly because I could do these pills and, and we're all broke. So it was, I could take a couple pills and drink one or two beers and be fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that shit, you know, you grow a tolerance for it and, you know, you have too much or you, you mix too many drugs or, or booze and, and coke and pills and you fucking die. Yeah. And now they're finding fentanyl in coke, pills, everything. All the drugs are finding that end. So, like, yeah. you know, people have a tolerance for coke, but they could do one line and they could die. Like, people, it's, yeah. it's starting to get in, uh, like under the radar weed cartridges now they're finding in that so like imagine hitting your weed pen and you just die like that shit's crazy too and i know brian does like mixing and stuff do you have any like tech questions mixing questions for him uh i mean yeah. shit I, listen i try to be as self-sufficient as i possibly can you know i try to uh i try to you know 
I can shoot my own videos. I, 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 I uh, direct, I, I, I edit, um, you know, I have, you can't see, but I got my mic in here. I'm, I'm actually in my actual home recording studio. So, you know, I record a lot at home and, um, that's literally what I'm sitting at right now. Yeah. I got my, got my two speakers. Right yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull my mic down, but, um, this break. I got my, I got my two speakers here. Like, honestly, where you're looking at right now is a bedroom where I work out a lot of my song ideas and, um, you know, I'm always trying to be a better engineer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, uh, I'm always trying to learn new tricks of the trade, how to make my vocals sound better, how to make them pop better, how to become a better mixing engineer. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, a YouTube, uh, 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 student, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but you know, it's, I'm, 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 like I said, like, I'm always trying to, um, Yo, have you ever seen um, this one guy? His name's Wavy Wayne. Nah. Yo, look him up on YouTube, Wavy Wayne. It's I'm telling you, as far as like mixing, engineering, everything like that, this guy covers everything. Yeah, man. Like if I ever have, if I run into a problem, like I'll be mixing our songs, doing all the effects, doing all the editing and everything. If I run into something, I'm like, damn, I don't know how to fix this. I'll type it in and go to his YouTube Wait, channel. Wait. What? You know what it is like. Uh, I'm a so you know I'm a I'm a rapper so I'm always so fixated on the vocals you know and I think that's a bad thing because you know a mix engineer is looking at the the totality of the song yeah. how do, how does the kick sound how does the snare sound how does the hi hat sound how do the vocals you yeah. know sound how does everything to blend together you know what I'm saying for me like I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of demos in my, in my house and I'm sending them out to mix engineers because it's people that are asking me to get on songs or I'm, I'm yeah. recording a, a reference version of something and I'm going to a bigger studio to record it. So for me, a lot of stuff is like, I'm, I'm OCD. So it's more or less like, how do I get my vocals to sound like, like really pop, like really, really, really stick yeah. out. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a never ending thing of, of me trying to, to well, learn. That's, that's why they always say never to mix your own music. Yeah. It, it's every like, I would, vocals. If, if I, if I had to, if I had to mix my own songs from scratch, man, they'd never be done. Man. Like they would never be done. That's why, that's why I like, you know, I like doing shit at home and uh, getting it to where it's, you know, I could play it in the car and it sounds good enough but, you know, I really, I really try to, you know, push that stuff off to like the engineers that know what they're doing yeah. because they know better than me. And like, I'll be, I'll be too, I'll just be too nitpicky, man. Like literally I'll, I, I can imagine myself sitting there for an hour over a snare sound or a, a kick sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So, so I, Brian does that when we have a song, he's like, he'll text me. I can't get this done. Like you're overthinking it just like stop you know <laughs> well, that's 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 the thing man like i feel like you know overthinking it to a degree could be the downfall of 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 music because you know you look at somebody like dr dre who i imagine is you know he is he's fine-tuning every little piece but he doesn't put music out because it's like he's he's set this unattainable bar for himself whereas sometimes you know you listen to say a Kanye album or, you know, a major artist album. And it's almost like, who makes this man? Like this shit sounds amateur, but maybe he wanted it to sound like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it could be an artistic, yeah. it could be an artistic decision. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it's, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's parts of the recording process that I'm, I'm glad I don't obsess over, you know, I'd rather obsess over the, the writing process and getting the song the way I want it to sound and giving it to an engineer. You know what I mean? The last thing I remember from you as we unbelief, did you have a freestyle with J Cole outside of a concert a while back? Yeah. So that was shit. What the fuck was the name of the venue? Um, I can't remember. I did, I did a show in the city and I was open up for this guy named Donnie Goins at the time. Awesome name. Uh <laughs> And and this kid Rain. The reason J Cole was at the show is because this kid Rain from North Carolina was there. Uh, but but I I've I've known I've I've hung out with J Cole because uh, way before he got his deal because J Cole went to St John's with my boy Ebe, 
who was older brothers with my best friend from high school, uh, Boss, who signed the Dreamville now. So Boss, who signed the Dreamville, he's he's just put out a, what's the song he's got with J. Cole now? Fucking, uh, you see the drop top, bitch, stop playing with me. He's got the song with J. Cole. Um, and he's on, uh, he's on J. Cole's new album. So I went to school with Boss. Me and Boss were best friends uh, from the time I was maybe 14 to the time I went to college. So uh, I would come home from college and hang out with him and they'd be throwing parties and E would be there and J. Cole would be there because E and J. Cole were best friends in, in college. They went to St. John's and, and E ended up becoming J. Cole's uh, business partner in Dreamville. And, uh, you know, I remember when J. Cole put his first uh, mixtape out with uh, DJ On Point. Uh, and then he put out the uh, the warm up. It, well, the first mixtape was called the Come Up. That he put out the warm up, and uh, I was at J Cole's um, record release party for the warm up. I was uh, at the first show J Cole did at SOBs uh, when he first performed uh, Who Dat. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I you know, I, I I go I go way back with those guys just because I was around that inner circle. You know these. Boss, I went to school with, and then by by extension, I knew his brother Eve, I knew his brother Ahmed, I knew his brother Mo, and Mo was is a popular, actually huge DJ. Uh, he goes by the name DJ Moma. He does the party everyday people. That's New York, Miami, LA. They're fucking all over the place. So you know his whole family is is doing it as far as the music industry is concerned. So uh, I just remember. Uh, it was probably like 2009, 2010. I did a show in the city. Uh, I want to say it was like the Gramercy Theater or something like that. And um, I opened up for this kid named Rain. Rain is from Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is the same city that Jay Cole's from. Jay Cole came through to the show. Um, I obviously knew Cole from his relationship with Eve and, and Abbas. And... Um, it was like right when he had gotten his deal. I don't, I don't even think he had put anything out. At, I don't think he had put anything out yet as J. Cole, uh, but he had just gotten signed to Jay-Z. And um, I asked him, I was like, yo, can we get some footage outside? And he came outside. I spit a rhyme. And that was pretty much it. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. That's pretty cool, though. How he was. Did, you know, did you knew he was going to blow up? Like, did was there like... That, that uh, I mean, so so I, I remember um, hearing Lights, Please mm -hmm. in like 2007. Uh, again, Lights, Please, there was an un, unmixed version yep. of Lights, Please that was on um, his mixtape called uh, uh, The Come Up that was hosted by DJ On Point, which eventually he put out the warm-up. I think he put out a, a more... Like that album ended up on his first that that song ended up on his first album, but that song had been floating around for like two years mm. before that, and I remember hearing that song, and that was the song that got him his record deal with Jay Z. And I re I remember hearing the story from my boy Abbas about how he he met Jay Z and Jay Z called him in for a meeting and they played that song. Like that was the song that got him his record deal. So I remember, I remember hearing that song and being like, like, this is special. You know what I mean? Like this, like this kid, because it wasn't like, shit, like how do I describe it? Like my boy Ebe would always try to put me on to rappers that he knew or like work with rappers that he knew. And when he met J. Cole, he latched himself onto him. Like mm. this kid is going to be something like my boy Ebe really I want to say put the like battery in Cole's back to, to really pursue music seriously because, you know, a lot of times like people are talented, but they don't have the confidence or the, you know, like mo most people that are super dope, they, they're not, they, they may not necessarily believe in themselves. Like other people believe in them. So, right. you know, I think, I think Eve was a huge catalyst in him really like, you know, having the self-confidence to go in and pursue music. Uh, so he deserves a lot of credit in that respect. But I, I remember hearing his music for the first time and being like, you know, this kid is the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like he could rap, he could make songs. 
it was, you know, there was nothing, there was no critiques. You know what I mean? Like I would hear, there's a lot of rappers that I would hear and I'd be like, yeah, he's cool. Like he, he could rap, but you know, he needs to work on A, B and C. And I remember Cole just hearing Cole and being like, nah, he's got it. Like he's, mm. he's ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. That like- was, that was crazy. And again, like that was, that was 2007. That was like two years before he got his deal. I mean, shit, I've been in, I've been in house parties where Cole's just chilling. You know, we've talked about hip hop, just regular, regular guy, just shooting the shit. Like he's a regular fucking guy, man. He's, he's, he's into the same shit. Me and you are, he knows all the underground shit. You know, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of like speaking to him just on like regular, like fan shit. And again, like I said, before, before anything ever went down with the, jay-z signing or anything like that so you know he's a he's a hip-hop head like you know i remember talking to him about you know cannabis and listening to the megahertz and fucking you know how much we love royce and shit like that like he's he's he is where he is because he's 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 a real fucking hip-hop fan he studied shit he studied shit so you know he does he deserves everything he has man he's fucking He's he's one of the greats, in my opinion. I just have one more question. Um, you you mentioned like you were in a dark place for a few years. Like you just like, is this really it? How long did it take you to get over like the bitterness, if you had any, and anger that like it didn't work out how you planned? You know what I mean? Were you just did you spend time just hating on new shit that was coming out? Um, I think it's just like it just it just takes time, man. Like I was, you know. I hate like the woe is me shit, but that's, that's really where I was, man. I was the mad rapper. You ever heard the mad rapper skit on Biggie's album? Like I was literally the mad rapper. It was, it was, I was, I was put into that place because of, again, you know, nobody was fucking with my music. I missed out on this deal. I had to deal with all these gatekeepers and influencers that didn't like what I was doing. Um, And, and I, 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 I got into this like self-loathing place where I was like, you know, no one likes what I'm doing. I should just fucking quit. Like this isn't working out, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I was there for a couple of years, but I think the, the, the want and need to make music overpowered that at a certain point. And I think that the main thing was me thinking to myself, like, am I just going to, sit around thinking like what could have been like what would have happened if I actually gave my all, you know what I'm saying? Like where would I be if I never, if I never gave up, that's my biggest regret. My biggest regret is stopping doing what I love doing. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if I would have never quit and just kept going, I can guarantee you I'd be in a different position than I am now. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was more or less just like, coming to the realization that you know uh the music industry doesn't fire you you quit Mm. and when you quit it's over the only person that determines whether or not it's over is you that's it you know what i'm saying and and that was like once once i realized that i was like okay well stop the bitching and moaning and just do what you want to do like you know you know and 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 to a certain degree the hustle i found the hustle element that I was missing at that time because, you know, back in those days, I used to rest a lot of things on, well, I know this guy Kwame and and he's produces for A, B, and C, and he has connections and, you know, he's going to put me on and that's going to be my ticket. You know what I mean? Once, once, once I, once I divorced myself from that and decided to stand on my own two feet and, and, just be like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can and see where it takes me. That's when things started to change. You know what I mean? And, uh, again, like, you know, that's, I, I, th- I think that's, that's the roller coaster a lot of people go through. So I, I empathize with people, you know, I empathize when, when I see artists that are like, you know, I'm done with the shit. I'm not in love with it. Like I used to be because it's a real thing. You know, this, this shit takes a lot out of you, man. It takes a lot out of you to, have the balls to put yourself out there and be subject to scrutiny. And, 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 you know, you, you, you may spend so much X amount of hours and X amount of time on 
you know, creating something, you know, and people could fucking shit on it. People could say, this sucks. This is the worst thing I've heard in my life, you know? And that's, that's something you kind of just got to anticipate and deal with. But the bottom line is you got to look at it like the people that have no skin in the game, the people that don't put in any of the work, the people that don't actively make records or write music or do anything, you know, their opinions don't matter, man. Like, right. it's, you know, I, I respect the people who do what I do. You know, the fact that a guy like Static selects, uh, respect, respects what I do. The fact that, you know, a guy like DJ Premier, who I looked up to my whole fucking life, plays songs of mine on his show. The fact that Kwame, who's a fucking legend, you know, works with me. The fact that I've done songs with people that I grew up listening to and idolizing. Like, that's the shit that keeps the wheel turning. You know what I mean? So that's, you know, and that, that would be my advice to anybody else is just, you know, keep pushing. That's all you could do is just keep pushing and, and keep, keep trying. Don't, you know, don't listen to what anybody says. And I think um, that sounds cliche to a certain degree because like a lot of people like, you know, what's, what's, what's your, your advice. And my main advice is don't give up. But it sounds so simple, but it's it's the hardest thing to do, man. It's the hardest thing to do is not quit because, you know, a lot of times your friends aren't going to believe in you. Sometimes your family's not going to believe in you. The people that are the closest around you that you think are going to support what you're doing may not support what you're doing. And and they may look at you like you're delusional for what you're doing. And um, that, could, that could take a mental toll on people and, um, you know, what I would say to people is, you know, wait, wait, wait till the good things start happening. Wait, wait till you start seeing the fruits of what you're doing and watch how people's tunes change. Watch how people's opinions change. And I've seen it happen, man. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. It's like they say, first they laugh at you, then they tell you how they know you. Exactly, man. They say, Listen, yeah, go on, man. It's true. It's true. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the people... I can't tell you how many other people I've, I've spoken to that do the same thing. They're like, you know, like my family doesn't believe in what I'm doing. My, my, my friends think I'm, I'm, I'm wasting my time. And listen, I mean, that's like the gauntlet. That's, that's the thing that weeds out the people that are serious from the people that, are, that aren't serious because everybody that's made it has been through that experience where it's people don't believe in what they're doing. Because when you look at it, really, like, pursuing a career in music, pursuing a career in movies, TV, you have to be borderline delusional to, or have a, a weird amount of self-confidence to actually pursue that type of career because it seems so out of reach yeah. to somebody that, you know, like, where I grew up, you know, most people are cops and firemen or, or you know, teachers and nurses. Like, that is... It's not, it's not within the realm of possibility to the people that, that you grow up and, and live around. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it, it takes a lot of self-confidence, a, 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 an, an irrational level of self-confidence. I wanted you to just like tell us like what you have coming up, what you've been working on. I know you're performing at SOBs coming up with The Truth. So uh, if you want to touch on some new projects. Yeah. Well, actually, I got added to, um, so this Thursday, uh, The Truth and Frank B are open up for Slick Rick at Sony Hall, and I'm going to do a song with them. Uh, I'm supposed to perform with them on October 2nd at SOBs. Uh, and yeah, man, I, I got a lot of stuff out. I mean, I got um, right out right now. I have an album called Summer Classics that's out. I have an album with the drummer named Daru Jones called One Mic and Drum that's out on Fat Beats. Um, I have an EP out with Static Selecta mm -hmm. called um, uh, Endless Summer. Uh, and, and coming out very soon, I have an album called 7182313, which is a collaborative, I want to say album, but it's almost like a compilation because there's so many artists on it. Uh, so I've been working with an artist out of Detroit that I've known for years by the name of Hush. And he, um, he's producing the project, he's rapping on the project, and I'm rapping on the project as well. But it's basically like a meeting of um, a bunch of New York artists and Detroit artists all on the same project. Cool. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited for that because we have some Detroit legends, we have some New York legends, uh, and it's just like, it's really just like a celebration of how much, you know, uh, Detroit has been influenced by 
there's so many lyricists out there that have been influenced by New York hip hop. And then in my generation, like I'm influenced by Royce, I'm influenced by Eminem, I'm influenced by Jay Dilla. So it's kind of like this, 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 you know, saluting from both sides. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's a really exciting project, man. So that's coming out soon. Uh, and then I'm also working on a project with my boy Neff. Uh, so, you know, I, I got, I got a lot of new music coming out, man. It's just, uh, and, and aside from that, just a bunch of collaborations I've been doing over the past couple months. So, you know, you're going to be hearing a lot of new music from me.